Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the pod, we will recap the State of the Environment Report, which was finally made public last week after a six-month delay of possibly sitting in a bottom drawer getting dusty. Uh, We're going to talk about what was in it, what jumped out at us, and we're going to tell you about that in a second. We're also going to revisit the government's 43% emissions reduction target, which is no doubt going to dominate the news cycle this week as it might pass through Parliament, yet to see. Uh, We've also got a very special interview on why your green super fund is nowhere near as green as you think. There are some shocking details in that interview that Ant did. And we're also going to be talking a lot about Crocs. Why not? Do you like crocodiles, Ant? I do absolutely not like crocodiles. And (laughs) there's a river down in Queensland. Look, we'll get there at the end of the pod. But I cannot believe how many crocs are in the Proserpine River (laughs) just near the tourist strip of sort of Airlie Beach. Uh, I don't want to know about that. But uh, look, we'll have to talk about it later on. But there's something even more frightening than uh, crocodiles, really. Uh, What is that? It is the state. This is one of my segues, Elfie. It is the (laughs) state of Australia's environment. Yes. Okay. So this week, as you probably well know, the State of the Environment Report was uh, released by Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek. Uh, She said a lot of kind of inflammatory things. Well, we won't say inflammatory. We'll just say quite uh, hard things at her uh, press club statement, didn't she? She was talking about how maybe the previous government had sort of kept this under wraps purposefully. And you watched it. What did she say? She had two or three cracks at the previous government and she absolutely Absolutely alleged that it had been suppressed because it would have been bad news in the election cycle. Mm. Um, now, we all sort of suspected as much, uh, but it was very interesting to hear the, the new federal environment minister absolutely say it in, in such distinct terms. Um, and look, overall, I was quite impressed by Tanya Plibersek, but, but as we said in the intro, I, I think a lot of people watched that or at least they consumed news coverage uh, from the point of view of a, of a podcast produced on a Monday, as we are. Last Wednesday's news isn't always enticing to people, so I thought rather than go through all of the pros and the cons of what was a pretty damning report mm-hmm. on the state of Australia's environment, I thought I'd throw to you, and you can throw back to me afterwards, but I thought I'd just throw to you on what stood out for you, Alfie. Yeah, sure. It's a it's a very interesting question. Look, there was a lot of shocking information in the report, like you said. You know, I think there was a statistic that said that uh, New South Wales fire season has now extended to almost eight months of the year. Wow. Not great news. I think that it also said that something like thirty nine mammals had gone extinct in Australia since colonisation. Uh, also, not great news. That's the most of any continent. Yeah. Um, but. To my mind, I picked this bit because it has been in the news a little bit recently, and I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of in the coming years. But basically, the report went pretty hard on the current Environmental Protection and Biodiversity and Conservation Act of 1999. Um, So we know that a review of that act was done in 2020. Uh, And the State of the Environment report kind of went a bit hard at it and said that it's not fit for purpose, it's completely ineffective, and it doesn't require the minister to take uh, climate change into account when making uh, decisions around fossil fuel projects. So yeah, I think that that was really interesting to me because I did go back and have a look at the 2016 report. It feels very different. It was a very soft approach to talking about the EPBC. Um, So, yeah, I think that that was really fascinating. And I do think that this is maybe the start of turning tides on that act and hoping 
to see some legislative change in the coming years. I would like to see the EPBC have a um, less tongue-twisting acronym. For I know. A, for a start, God. I think they should, they should rename the act. That's that's, that's <laughs> that should be their first act. Should be renaming the act. But but you're right. It needs tightening. It needs all sorts of things uh, done to it. Mm. It was interesting to hear that addressed. And um, yeah, look, I, I think for me. Um, couple of things stood out really quickly. There was just one line in there, one line in there. It said, Australia now has more foreign plant species than native ones. And that's just, that was just incredible to me. I mean, I mean, you think of Australia sort of in your mind, in your mind's eye, and you sort of think of, oh, a few planted trees, a yeah. few crops, and just mallee and gum trees extending to the horizon, and then you hit the Nullarbor, you know, <laughs> but, but it's not that way. I mean, more than half of our landmass, uh, or sorry, more than half of our plants are are now uh, foreign species, not natives, which absolutely so bizarre. Actually, there was another stat in there which which just came to mind that that also approximately half of Australia is devoted to drum roll dot 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 cattle grazing. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Actually, half of the country is making <laughs> Big Macs. Oh God, you should read uh, Saul Griffiths recent book what was it called electrify everything is that what it's called uh, no it's called the big switch the big switch and we oh that's the subtitle we, we both have a copy yes we both have a copy and he speaks about uh sort of transforming cattle grazing fields into solar uh farms wow. in theory and how much energy that would produce mind-boggling absolutely wild wow rather than you know the energy consumed and, and the emissions created mm. uh, um <clears throat> definitely not going for a steak after the pod today uh but look, so so there was that about about the foreign plant species. Um, also, I, I just couldn't get past the Murray Darling Basin. I mean, Tanya Plibersek told us that the Morrison government, by the time they left office, they had only delivered two two of the promised. I had to say two twice, like a sound check. <laughs> two um, two of the promised four hundred and fifty gigalitres. What happened to the other 448 gigalitres? Wow. I'm speaking about environmental water for, for the Murray-Darling Basin. That That is a, an unbelievable emission. And look, the Murray-Darling is, is one of my pet issues. Do you remember back in over summer, we, we ran a pod with Matt Herring. He's an ecologist mm, that I do works there. That. He took us out to the Low Bidgee, which is swamps at, at, at sort of the bottom end of the Murrumbidgee River, which is the third longest river in the, in the MDB. And... It was teeming. It was teeming with life. It was terrific. It was in great nick, as 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 they say in cricket. Um, and and that's not always going to be the case because we've had a couple of La Nina summers. Mm. Uh, it's often in pretty bloody bad condition, and I. It's one of my pet issues. And it was great to see Tanya Plibersek say that this is important. We're going to do. She said it's going to be really hard, but she said we're going to do what we can to at least get close to some of those targets for something like four hundred and fifty gigalitres and. You speak about tone overall, um, you know, w- without wanting to go on too much. I thought the tone was was nice of her speech. Now, it wasn't a perfect speech. She cut off one of my mates, a journo that you and I have both worked with in, in, in the past and sort of dismissed his question. She, she was a little short on detail and very long on ambition, far from a perfect speech. Um, so... We're not having a massive crush on on the new environment minister here, but what we are having a crush on is is the tone, mm. because the tone was that the environment is now important again. The environment is no longer a nuisance; um, it's 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 as important as the economy. Yeah, sure. Not to be sitting in the bottom drawer of an office to actually be there, being acknowledged. Yeah, it's, exactly. I, right. I totally agree with you. 
And, you know, I wrote in our newsletter all about that last week. You should subscribe to our newsletter. I, I usually do the plug at the end. But um, hello at thegreencanary.co. One little email would have got you a big analysis of that, the way that we've sort of been numbed into thinking that, that, that oh, we can just get away with treating the environment like we have, but we can't. And Tanya Plibersek's speech, as I say, releasing the State of the Environment report, though far from perfect, though short on detail in areas, changed the tone. Mm, yes, absolutely. And there was a funny quote that you actually picked up from the end of that speech as well, didn't you? Oh, look, I'm so glad you mentioned that. It was just, it was just kind of, it was, it was, it was Tanya Plibersek uh, forgetting the details. Um, I think she got away with it. I think she covered it really well. Let's have a listen. <laughs> We're doing such amazing things, you know, we're protecting in small amounts, little areas, um, you know, northwest, uh, northwest New South Wales, you know, setting aside areas where cute little hopping things are being released back into the environment. And, um, you know, we're, we're bringing species back from the brink of extinction. Uh, you know what? I actually love that. Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> our, we've, we've 39 mammal extinctions since since colonisation, but we're doing things to... Oh, I'm tapping the table again. I've just been warned about that so many times. We're doing things to protect the little hopping things. <laughs> That's all that matters. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Well, now let's stay in government, shall we, and continue to talk about what the Labor Party is doing because this year, they, sorry, this week rather, they are going to be introducing the 43% emissions reduction bill into Parliament. Uh, yeah, so this is something that we have spoken about before. We know that there is opposition from certain camps. And how are you feeling about it? What are you seeing in the news this week? Well, I mean, I still think the best analysis on it was was our podcast last week. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, we spoke to Gavin McFadgen from the the ACF about it, and they're supporting Labor's forty three percent emissions reduction target. Mm. Uh, they're not the only environment group to to do that. We pointed out last week that that you know some some of the hippies, some of the some of the activists <laughs> are, are, are the, the people who are normally opposed to this sort of thing are saying. Get it done, get it done. Floor, not a ceiling. As we warned you last week, we'd be saying that phrase a bit. Just put something in concrete, and we can work from there. So the fight this week is going is going to be whether whether um, the Greens, in particular, see it that way as well. Now, now Adam Bant did, I think, a very cryptic tweet today. Um, he he said, "This week there are more Greens than ever in the forty seventh Parliament, thanks to you." Our grassroots, people-powered movement is sending a record 16 Greens MPs to Canberra this week. Every one of them will fight for real action on climate dot, dot, dot. So whether that's a signal saying we won't budge or whether that's a signal saying we'll let the 43 go, but we're going to have some serious conditions. And it looks like one of the conditions is going to be a no to fossil fuel projects um, or at least some sort of mechanism to make them a lot harder. And David Pocock, the ACT senator, has spoken about that, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so he is obviously one of the crossbenchers in the Senate. He's probably going to end up being the deciding vote. Um, and he has called for a climate trigger to be added to Australia's national environmental laws. 
Um, in simple terms, that means that it would require the federal environment minister to consider the impact in a major development um, and whether it would have impact on the climate, when de- whether or not deciding it can go ahead. Uh, so this is actually something we covered on the pod a couple of weeks ago. I think this was when you were away, actually. But um, basically, a Queensland group has challenged this in the EPBC. And it is something that environmental groups have been calling for for a while now. We're seeing action on it. And it could be very interesting to see if David Pocock could make that happen. It, it, it is. And, you know, my hope is that some sort of compromise like that happens. Um, mm. My hope is that the 43% gets through. We start aiming a whole lot higher, f- uh, perhaps pre-2030, but certainly when we set the new 2035 target, which has has to be done separately. Um, but meanwhile, maybe we can get 43% plus a much harder look at any of the, as many as 27 fossil fuel new projects that are on the table. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's the sort of compromise. But I think say no more for now because uh, this will play out this week. We talked about it last week. We'll have a lot to say on it next week. Let's let it go and let's move to not a good story. I I, I couldn't believe when I read this. There's Look, it, it, this is new analysis um, by a group called Market Forces. Uh it, they're an organisation that that sort of holds the banks and super funds and, and uh, others accountable uh, and makes sure that they're they're not financing environmentally destructive projects. And and they've analysed uh, some of the biggest uh, super fund investments, and eight of the eleven that they uh, analysed uh, did not stack up. They said we're doing green investing, and they are not. Wow. According to Brett Morgan from Market Forces, uh, who's a campaigner there. So I thought I'd better get old mate Brett on the line, ask him how on earth they are getting away with it. So let's roll that interview. Brett Morgan, I am shocked, shocked, I tells you, that the superannuation that I thought was being invested in green places is actually going to dirty places. You have done research with your company, Market Forces. Please tell me what's going on. Well, um, sorry to hear you're shocked, Ed, but I'm hoping that I can at least alleviate some of that. But uh, before doing so, um, look, this analysis we've done quite recently uh, has looked at the investment options labelled sustainable or socially responsible of some of Australia's biggest super funds. And what we've found is that many of them actually aren't necessarily living up to their labels. So eight of the investment options in our analysis uh, we found were invested in companies that are undermining climate action by expanding the scale of the fossil fuel industry. And the reason we've done this analysis is because Market Forces has been working with tens of thousands of super fund members uh, over the years who are concerned about where their super fund is investing their retirement savings and the climate impact of those investments. And importantly, when challenged over these investments in uh, companies expanding the fossil fuel industry, super funds will often actually point their members to their sustainable investment options. So it's clear, though, that some of these products are are failing to live up to their labels. How does this happen? If I go to the shop and buy a bag of salt and vinegar chips, I expect there to be chips with the flavour salt and vinegar in there. If I tell my super fund to invest green, how does it invest brown, if you like? 
Well, that is a really great question. And I think in a lot of ways it comes back to um, how super funds disclose their investments to their members. So uh, until very recently, you know, only a couple of months back, really, um, super funds had no um, requirements to disclose their holdings in any uh, standardized way. So, but new regulations actually came into effect quite recently that you know, require funds to now disclose their holdings like, uh, you know, in uh, a standard format. So um, we've, you know, analyzed these super funds investments and yeah, found exactly which ones were investing in the global companies most responsible for expanding the fossil fuel industry. And as you've just flagged, the, you know, the worst thing about this is the fact that uh, some of these super funds are really letting their members down, you know, members uh, who actively choose to invest in a product which is labeled sustainable uh you know people seem to people expect that's what they're going to get um however it it obviously would come as quite a big shock to uh to then discover that this invest so-called sustainable investment option is invested in companies that are uh, undermining climate action so you know just almost a yes or no answer are they just being sneaky are they deliberately misleading us well, I would say that these funds are certainly greenwashing. Uh, some of these funds that are claiming to, you know, um, sell or market sustainable products uh, that are actually invested in fossil fuel companies, that, that is greenwashing. And quite recently, um, the uh, Australia's corporate regulator, ASIC, actually published some guidance on greenwashing specifically, uh, you know, for super funds and the financial services industry uh, and how to avoid greenwashing. And so, uh, you know, this, this guidance talks about how, uh, you know, products that are, are sustainability related uh, that are not true to label or, you know, perhaps using vague terminology, uh, they could actually be breaching um, uh, misleading and deceptive conduct uh, or disclosure rules. And so, well, yeah, what's happening here is that super funds are potentially misleading consumers and, and contravening the regulator's advice. And so because of this, uh, Market Forces has actually referred the findings of our analysis to ASIC for further investigation. And whether or not any rules are actually being broken is, is something we'll leave to ASIC. Right. I mean, I, I ploughed through a little bit of ASIC stuff in preparation for this interview. I read, uh, you know, where they did set some guidelines. I believe it was last year they first went about doing that. And they, uh, there were some amazing facts there. Um, sustainability labelled investments doubled, ASIC told me, uh, between 2019 and 21. So this is a massively growing sector. But the key phrase there is sustainably, sorry, sustainability labelled investments. So they're labelled sustainable, but we don't know they are. So that's a wind up to a big question. And the question goes, who's waving the big stick here, Brett? Um, does ASIC have a stick? I want them to. I want them, uh, once they've read the stuff that you've sent through to them this week, to go, right, crack down time. I've just banged the table. They're always telling me not to do that, but I did just bang it. But it's crack down time. No more. Is that going to happen? Well, the good news is um, beyond the uh, the funds that we've analysed, um, you know, there are actually some funds out there doing 
doing the right thing uh, and included in our analysis too. There were three funds that we turned up that that uh, were uh, didn't have their sustainable investment options didn't have any uh, investments in. Who are they? Who are the good fossil fuels? Well, what we've found in uh, in our analysis is that the uh, Australian Retirement Trust um, investment uh, sustainability related investment option, as well as Aware Super's option and Uni Super's option. So those are the three um, out of the. 11 we analyzed it didn't have any exposure to the the companies we're concerned about and it's uh so that's 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 obviously some good news but uh in terms of you know what asic uh could potentially do and and the stick that asic could wave um the, you know the specifics of that uh i'm going to have to leave to asic unfortunately however um the commissioner has recently made some comments uh in the media around just how big of a concern this is for the regulator at the moment. And ASIC are very concerned and are treating this as a big priority. And so, you know, we, we, we can only hope that um, the, the regulator will uh, investigate this to the fullest extent. We certainly can. Well, Brett, you've done great work, you and your company, Market Forces. We appreciate the effort you've put in and we very much appreciate your time coming on the Green Canary today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that was a very depressing interview. Thank you for bringing that to us this week. I'm so sorry. I tried to make it more interesting with the question about salt and vinegar chips, but but, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's just it beggars belief, really, doesn't it? Yeah, honestly. And you know what? I will say, good on market forces because I do think that they do fantastic work. They do fantastic research, and they also put together some really handy consumer sort of grids so that you can understand what you're looking at more clearly because all of these places are going to be trying to obscure what they're doing to some extent and it is fantastic to have people like this doing the work for us and giving us guidance when we're trying to pick super funds and banks. Nicely said. They're good people and so let's give them a plug. Marketforces.org.au is where you'll find them. Have you signed up to Green Super? Uh, no, not yet. It's something we keep talking about. And I know. I'm going to keep beating you up about this. And I'm scared of being beaten up by you. It's one of the things that keeps me awake at night. So <laughs> I'll probably do it in five minutes. So let's race into the mulch, quickly finish the pod, and I'll go and sign up to Green Super. I promise. Here it is. First first little mulch, first little uh, bit, bit and piece at the end of the pod. The ACT, Elfie, is about to ban the sale of fossil fuel cars from 2035. That is Amazing. It is amazing, isn't it? I mean, look, we know the ACT is the most progressive sort of place in the country. Um, we also know that, the, because I think we covered on the pod earlier this year, that they, they did announce um, financial incentives for people to buy zero emissions vehicles. Yeah. Um, Not only that, but also they have all that new infrastructure as well in yeah, Canberra. exactly right. So... You know, EVs uh, and Canberra are about to get along very well. Um, <laughs> the ACT has now um, released released plans for to end the sale of new petrol and diesel vehicles by 2035. It's also aiming for 80 to 90 percent of new vehicle sales um, to be zero emissions vehicles by 2030. So it's moving fast now. In fairness, there have been some concerns that that lower income residents will be cut out because EVs are still much more expensive than regular vehicles. Yeah. Even ACOS, the Australian Council of Social Services, has has had a bit of a crack at the ACT. But the ACT Emissions Reduction Minister, and I love that they have an Emissions <laughs> Reduction Minister, um, 
Shane Rattenbury says the ACT Gov is doing whatever it can. It's doing all sorts of uh, zero interest loans, stamp duty waivers, things like that. So, you know, it's going to go ahead uh, and hopefully uh, there's a little bit of social justice along with the uh, good environmental news there. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're very important partners in this. All right. And the next story that you have brought to me is a call to ban fossil fuel advertising. So Coms Declare, which is a group that's made up of 300 marketing, public relations, advertising and media professionals, as well as 80 organisations that have committed to not supporting companies contributing to the growth of fossil fuel emissions in Australia has launched a campaign of its own calling for a tobacco style blanket ban on advertising by coal, oil and gas companies in Australia. So we know very well, Ant, that you will not see cigarette advertising on television. You will not see alcohol advertising, I believe, in certain times. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't think kids are allowed to watch like uh, ads for Jim Beam or whatever at three o'clock in the (laughs) afternoon. Um, But this is basically a call to see fossil fuels scrapped from TV ads too. Um, What do you make of it? I think it's a really good idea. I think, I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's one of those sort of provocative ideas. Um, you know, these are public relations advertising and, and, and people putting this forward. So mm. they, they're good at sort of tweaking people's True. sort of responses yes. to things. So they're, 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 they're making people like you and I sit across the table from each other in a podcast and go, well, what do you think about this? And the answer is, actually, I do think it's a good idea. I also think it's completely unworkable. Um, <laughs> I think I think they're probably some of the biggest spenders. Um, they're certainly some of the biggest greenwashers. You know, some of the ads from big petrol companies. And oh, stuff. God, help yeah. us. Yes, no, I, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's a great intellectual idea. Will it happen? Dunno. Don't think so, though. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But I do think, like you said, you know, they know what they're doing with that message. And you know what? I actually like what the... Um, Comms Declare Chief Executive Belinda Noble said on the news this week. She said that uh, we founded in recognition that famously marketing and PR has been used for decades to help polluting companies and we want that to stop, Well, which it, I like. I do like that as well. I do like that as well. And, and, and the next time a major fossil fuel company comes to one of those sort of companies and offers them squillions for their campaign, I look forward to them saying, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the real test, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Look, last story. And... Um, this I just love this story. We mentioned it at the top. It's about Crocs. And, um, you know, I've never been to tropical Queensland, so I don't understand Crocs. I've been to the NT, but oh, not not the crocky bit. Um, I just don't understand Crocs. But the story is that um, there are some large saltwater crocodiles in the Whitsunday re- region that will soon be monitored by Queensland government scientists in an effort to determine their movements in relation to nearby popular tourism areas. And the reason, I mean, this is a story. It's good. They're doing this. I can't believe it hasn't happened 100 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, the story is that it wasn't happening before. That's exactly to me (laughs) what the story is. Like, here here are some of the stats. Uh, This area, the Prospine River, which is not far from Ely Beach, which I'm sure a lot of people know is not far from the Whitsundays, Hamilton Island, all that. Um, It's got five and a half crocs per kilometre. That must be per kilometre of river or um, anyway the average in Queensland is only one per kilometre so you've got five and a half times more croc um, it's, these are also the biggest crocs in Queensland so you've got the highest density of the biggest crocs and they've just gone hmm maybe we should come to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what Anne? 
I've got to say, I love crocodiles. So I love that you brought this story. And I have been on a boat down that river before. I've seen the tiny little baby ones. They're amazing. And I've got a little fact for you about crocodiles. Did you know that there's a theory that they have a thing called negligible senescence, which means that they don't age at the rate of every other animal in the world. Basically, they age very slowly, if not, not at all. Really? Yes. What kills them? Eventually, this is the theory. Don't know whether this is true. They don't. They just die by means that aren't natural. So they will starve to death because they can't sustain themselves because they get too large, wow. or they'll get hit by things or, and die that way. So crocs are not only sort of impervious to any predator, but they're immortal. Impervious to time, yes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's a theory. Who knows? You have blown my mind. Please end the podcast okay. while I go away and, and change my super and contemplate the universe. <laughs> Two important activities. All right. Well, before we head off today, as always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Very nicely said. And I'd just like to uh, remind people that we're out there on Twitter. Say hello to us. A lot of you did this week. It was good fun. Uh, We had a chat at... uh, what are we? Green Canary Pod. We're at Green Canary Pod on Twitter and we are at Green Canary Media on Instagram. And we put out a little newsletter. It had the best uh, analysis in the country of Tanya Plibersek's speech uh, that was written by me uh, <laughs> last week. And you really should have subscribed. About 15 people subscribed last week. Loved the people who did that. And I try to answer every one of your emails. Apologies if I didn't, but I think I got to them all. Uh, anyway, hello at the Green Canary co and you will get that email in your inbox and that newsletter that is and uh, like I said off to change my super and to uh, ponder the immortality of crocodiles <laughs> all right we'll see you next week then it might take me a week <laughs> bye, bye.